thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed but I kept the matter in my heart my friends in the midst of all of this in the midst of all the friction of culture and faith of antichrist world powers you have to always remember that victory is assured victory is assured the world is a scary place there's conflicts between nations even between people within the same nation Volatile encounters bringing needless destruction and horrific death. You see, the news feeds and social media posts that are filled with hate. But you need to know something today. You need to know that God is in control. Pastor Daniel reminds you that the future God promised is just that. A promise. A guarantee. So don't be afraid. Be hopeful. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 as he continues his message. Visions of the Future. Daniel writes down and says the main facts. First we find out that the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, which the reference would have been the Mediterranean Sea for Daniel. And you have these four great beasts coming on up. Now, in verse 4, we see the kingdom of Babylon. Notice, it's a lion that had eagle's wings. This, on the Ishtar gate entrance in Babylon, there was literally a picture of a lion with eagle's wings. Right? And so, this was a reference that Daniel would have seen many times. Notice that I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. Now, obviously, this is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar and him being humbled in the wilderness and getting his heart and his mind returned to him, which we studied where? In Daniel chapter four. So if you've been with us, you heard some of these things. So obviously, the first beast was Babylon. Now in verse five, it says, and suddenly another beast... A second, like a bear, was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said, thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. Now, if the lion with wings is Babylon, then obviously the bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth was the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, what's interesting is Belshazzar's reign gives way to the Medo-Persian Empire. And if you were to read Daniel chapter 8, which is the next chapter, we get all sorts of information about the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's going into the third empire. What is interesting is it's a bear that is raised up on one side. And most scholars would tell you that the reason that is, is because it's the Medes and the Persians. But the Persians were really the dominant of the two cultures that came together. So the idea of this bear being raised up on one side, it speaks of the Persians having the preeminence in the relationship. The empire began with a Median king, but ended up the Persians ended up being the most well-known. Many scholars would also make the case that the three ribs in its mouth were the three major conquests of the Medo-Persian empire. Babylon in 539, Lydia in 546, and Egypt in 525. Now, if you're scribbling those things down, God bless you. I'm going to move quickly. But this is like, you can just look in history books and you just read all this stuff. It's really powerful. Now, from there, in verse 6, we get the next one. 
After this, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, the Medo-Persian Empire was conquered by the Greeks. Now, the Greeks, do you think the, the picture of a leopard with... The leopard is one of the fastest animals in all of nature, right? Now, you think of a leopard with some boosters, with some wings, and you get an extra even quicker... Right, And the Greek Empire was well known for the speed at which its army could move. History tells us that people expected the Greek army at a certain time they'd show up way early because they designed footwear to get them there faster. And so this third empire, the leopard with the four wings, of course, is the Greek Empire. Now, what is also very fascinating is that the four heads speaks of the division of the Greek Empire after the death of its first leader, Alexander the Great. It's split up into Lysimachus in Thrace and Bithynia, which is an Asia Minor, Cassander in Macedonia and Greece, Seleucus in Syria and Babylon, and then Ptolemy, which is in Egypt and Palestine and Arabia Petra. So you might remember the Ptolemies. You guys remember Cleopatra? Yeah, she's of the Ptolemy dynasty. And so again, if you're bored with this, I'm going quick. If you love this stuff, you can have a field day. Like literally, if you're writing these things down, go look at the Greek Empire and its history. Go look at the Medo-Persian Empire and its history. The Babylonian Empire and its history. All this is in your history books. If you cut classes in world history like I did, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you can still read it. That's why God invented Google. Amen? Amen. Okay. And then from there, in verse 7, it says, After this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Of course, this is Rome, and don't miss the fact you have this iron Breaking like iron, which again, remember, it was the calves of iron. And then you have the iron mixed with the feet, the ten toes. Now we have ten horns. What's fascinating is we have these same four successive kingdoms. But what's fascinating now is that Daniel starts to see some other things. And he gets focused on some other things. It says this in verse 8. I was considering the horns, the ten horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, I just want you to notice this little horn. Notice there's these ten horns, and then this little horn comes on up. Three of the ten horns go away, and that this little horn, it was given eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So everyone made a mental note? Look at the person next to you say, remember the little horn. What are we remembering here? The little horn. Okay, good. We're remembering the little horn. I'm going to come back to the little horn in a second. Because from this moment, in verse 9, we find out that there's another kingdom that's coming. That's what it says. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. His hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. It's wheels of burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him and a thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Now this is God, the ancient of days, seated on the throne. And it says in verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the little horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and it's 
body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now notice in verse 11 that this little horn is now called the beast that was slain and its body destroyed. Okay, so I'm giving you more details about this. But in the midst of all this, notice what it says in verse 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Who's the son of man? Jesus. Now listen, repetition is necessary. Jesus is a king. Jesus' kingdom is God-derived. It has no end. And everybody will serve him. That is from cover to cover in your Bible. And the cross and the empty tomb, the subsequent ascension, means that at some point in the future, Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to inaugurate that kingdom in fulfillment. Now, here's the thing. This is why you should bow your knee to Jesus as Lord now. It's like, for me, this reality was really important because I was like, well, who believes that Jesus is coming back? I mean, it's a fairy tale and this and that. And you have all these reasons why. You're like, well, I'm not going to bow my knee to Jesus. I mean, what? that's crazy. I mean, I bow to no man. But you know what the problem is? That's just dumb. When you realize that Jesus is coming back and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I know there's some of you in here right now, but there's some of you in here right now who is just the way that I was. Well, you hear that and you're like, Psh, whatever, you know. But if either way your knee is going to bow, then why wouldn't you want to live with your knee bowed to him right now? It's like, what good is it is being the rebel when the conquering king is going to conquer? And that thought really ate my lunch for a while. Because I thought to myself, I ain't going to follow Jesus. I mean, that's silly. I mean, like, why would I want to follow Jesus? I mean, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be one of those reborn kind of people. I had all these things that I was working through. But all of a sudden, what I realized was like, you know, know what the problem is? Every knee is going to bow. So why wouldn't I want to bow of my own volition and not be forced to bow when I'm judged. And really my encouragement, my exhortation, my challenge, if you're here today, you're hearing this, maybe you're on Facebook Live or the internet campus or, or you're here in our sanctuary or whether in Vancouver or in Southwest Portland, if you have not said yes to Jesus and bowed your knee before him and said, you are the king, then you are on the wrong side of eternity, not history. That's what our media use that. Well, you're on the wrong side of history. No, you're on the wrong side of eternity because Jesus is the king of kings. He comes to God. God gives him this kingdom. It's his kingdom. There's nothing worse than when eternity is on the line being on the wrong bandwagon. Nothing worse. You know why? Because God told you in advance it was going to happen. He told you beforehand. So that you would know. It's kind of like if you're a teacher. I remember this in college. I had a teacher who said, do you want to get an A in my class? Yes. Okay, if you want to get an A in my class, you have to do this, this, and this. 
And I remember I'm in this class. I'm like, man, is that really what we have to do? He said, if you want to get an A in my class, you have this thing, you do this and you do this, right? Told you exactly what the, he didn't say I'm going to grade you. He said, I'm going to, I want to give you an A. Just, this is what it's about. And I remember being like, wow, I love this teacher so much. You know what I mean? And literally, you know what I did? I gave him everything they asked for. You know what I got? I got an A. There was other students who didn't believe that the teacher was being honest. Didn't want to listen. See, God loves you enough to say, I'm not going to grade you. I want to give you an A. And you get an A if you put your faith and trust in my son. You get an eternity with, you get to know me now and you get to have eternity with me later. You just have to say yes. And you have to live your life in response to the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. Now, from there, we notice that Daniel is grieved and he's troubled and there's other people there and he's like, can you tell me what's going on with these things? And he says, look, these four beasts, these are these four kings or kingdom which arise out of the earth. And notice in verse 18, and the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Now, in verse 19, what did I ask you to remember? The little horn. Okay, we'll get you some more information about the little horn. Look what it says in verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and the nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns, which are on its head, and the other horn, which came up before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of the Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, verse 23, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom of the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break into pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws, then the saints shall be given into his hands for a time and times and a half a time. Now, my friends, this is what you could call the rise of the Antichrist. The rise of the Antichrist. This little horn is in fact who the Bible explains to us the Antichrist is. It comes all through the Bible. But what we find is this fourth kingdom is Rome. Now, what goes on ultimately is that over the course of time, we have the Roman Empire, and then nobody ever really conquers Rome in its totality. Different groups conquer different parts, and Rome kind of drowns in atrophy. It kind of just kind of vanishes off the scene. And then you have the rise of European powers, which were also part of the Roman Empire. And then you have, it moves to the west of these different places. And what it would seem is that now this little horn, at the time that this little horn comes on up, there would be, maybe you could call it a revival of the Roman Empire, where there's these 10 kings that are ruling at the same time. See, that's why you can, people want to say, well, maybe it was ancient Rome. There was never 10 kings happening at one time. If you read the history of Rome, there's always one king, one ruler, one Caesar. But now all of a sudden, at some point, the Roman Empire is going to have some sort of a reemergence. Now, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be called the Roman Empire Revived. You know? Like people will be like, yeah, uh, no thank you. 
But at some point, there's going to be this seed of power that's kind of coming out of the what was the foundation of the Roman Empire. There's going to be these ten kings, right? And then three of them are going to be done away with as this little horn arises. And we learn a lot about this little horn. Notice what we find in verse 21. We find this. I was watching the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. So what you have is at some point, this little horn, the man that we, the Bible calls the Antichrist, is going to begin to persecute the saints of God and seeming to prevail against them. Now from there, notice in verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So there's going to be a persecution in these last days by this person that we know as the little horn or the Antichrist. And he's going to prevail for a season until the Lord comes back and gives the kingdom to the people of God. Now, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says it this way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. Same person. If you want more information, I would encourage you to go read Revelation chapter 13. And 17. There's lots of places. Just do a search on Antichrist in the Bible. You put all these things together. I like to say that the best way to understand these things is to do a word search. And then put them all together. And for those of you who want homework, this is a great homework. But I wouldn't only do it with the Antichrist. I would do it with words like grace, love, mercy, joy, peace. Like, take a word. They used to call it concordance. You know, there's this guy named Augustus Strong. Long before Google existed, before a computer, this guy went and he made, he took every word in the Bible and he cataloged it, like by hand. Like every time the word love showed up, he had every single place. And then every, and so this book is like 3,000 pages. And I always think to myself, I'm like, you know, I bet he'd roll over in his grave if he knew that Google was going to show up, <laughs> you know? But then I thought to myself, you know, he was blessed because he had to do that. He learned the word so, like, that's the downside of the technology we have, isn't it? That we don't have to work for this stuff anymore. And do you ever really value what you don't work for? Now, don't get me wrong. You don't work for grace. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so easy to take so great a salvation for granted. Because you don't work for grace. Like, you don't have to work to sustain it. You didn't have to work to get it. You just believed in Jesus. That's the only thing that we need to value, even though we got it as a gift. But everything else you got to work on. And it's amazing that Augustus Strong did this. So that's just an aside point on Strong's concords. We also learn about this little horn, a number of other things. Notice it says, by the time you move to verse 24, the 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and he shall subdue three kings. So we see that this little horn is going to put away three of the 10 kings. Notice he speaks pompous words. Notice against the most high. He speaks blasphemous words. See, the little horn, the Antichrist goal is to be anti-Jesus. He doesn't, he wants to blaspheme against God right? He persecutes the saints of the Most High. Not only that, it says that he shall intend to change times and laws. 
So this coming world ruler, this little horn, this antichrist, he's going to want to change times and laws. And not only that, notice the saints will be given into his hand for a times, time, and a half of time. Now, that phrase, times, time, and half of time, you'll find in the book of Revelation and a number of other places, along with things like 42 months, 1,260 days, which all speaks of three and a half years, which is the most common way that we would talk about the great tribulation period. How many of you heard the seven-year tribulation period? It's totally wrong. It's not the seven-year tribulation. It's a three and a half year tribulation. It's actually the 70th week of Daniel, which is a seven year period. Half of it is peace. The last half of it is the tribulation. So anytime someone says seven year tribulation, say that is wrong. No, don't do that. But it's actually not true. It's actually the 70th week. And we'll talk you like 70th week of Daniel, Daniel chapter nine. We'll study this. So get excited. Read ahead, study it, learn it, and we'll compare notes. Sound good? But there's going to be a season in the book of Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Right, And you find this thing all throughout areas of Scripture. But notice, in the midst of all of this, look at what happens in verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints, the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. My friends, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the friction of culture and faith, of antichrists, world powers, you have to always remember that victory is assured. Victory is is assured. You could think, and obviously I didn't have time. I could, if I did a sermon series on the Antichrist, it could take me months and months and months to tease out all these scriptures. So I give you a thumbnail sketch. And you might think in the midst of all of this, how's it going to happen? Like, this is bad. We're going to be persecuted for three and a half years if we're there and all this stuff. You can have all these different thoughts. But then quite beautifully and elegantly, We just find out that the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people and the saints of the most high. My friends, do you realize that in Christ, your victory is assured? He's already been victorious And remember, God tells us what will happen in the future so that it will affect the way that we live in the present. That's why he does it. He tells us this is going to happen so that we live today already knowing the victory has happened. Like Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord Jesus is Today, you learned about a prophecy shared with Daniel long, long ago and how it applied to future events. But as you listened, Pastor Daniel also pointed out something incredibly important. It's time to make up your mind about Jesus. 
It's time to pick whether you're going to give your life to the Lord or if you're going to take your chances. One day, every knee will bow before him, but for some, it will be too late. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Today's passage in the book of Daniel may have left you a little unsettled, as it did for Daniel himself, especially when you couple it with current events happening around the globe. When will the hardship end? Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue to share hope in the midst of these trials. He'll give you ways to not only cope with today, but to grow and thrive in Jesus until he returns to take you home. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Friction. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.